Our sermon passage this morning is Psalm 25. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all of my sins." See how numerous are my enemies, and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this psalm, this encouragement that we have that... uh, uh, we can bring to you our shame, um, and that in the midst of shame, we can find you and your love there, not to shame us further, but to set us free, to give us forgiveness, transformation, and hope. So I pray in these moments, impress these truths upon our heart by your Holy Spirit, that we may see the beauty and majesty of Jesus and come to love him more and more. I pray all this in his name. Amen. So a few years ago, I was at a leadership conference, and uh, one of the speakers there was the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company um, who was widely seen as uh, incredibly successful as, an, as a chief executive officer. And he also had a TV show. I think it was on MSNBC. He would go in and he would help out um, local small business owners, like figure out and chart a, a pathway to the future. So this was a, a, a great speaker that... I, I was eager to hear. Um, and one of the things that he was speaking on is how do you, um, how does he, as a leader who has been so successful, who has already achieved so much, how does he continue to motivate himself to, uh, to, to keep chasing success? He's already successful. How does he motivate himself to keep going down the road? Why bother, right? He's already made enough money. And so he was sharing with us this morning ritual that he does every day. He said he would get up in the morning and he would look into the bathroom mirror as he's brushing his teeth or shaving or whatever. He'd look himself square in the eyes and he would say, shame on you. Shame on you for how you've mistreated people. Shame on you 
for not being a great leader. Shame on you for the opportunities you've missed. And he said that was it. This morning ritual was part of the way that he motivated himself toward success. Now, I remember I was there with some friends, and we all kind of looked at each other and laughed because this seemed, uh, it seemed a little odd. We couldn't believe this man, this very successful man, was telling us this. But over time, it's become less funny to me. Um, and I thought about it more and more, and I realized that he was identifying something that I recognize because it's something that I do too. Now, I don't get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, shame on you. Um, but how often do I try to use shame about things I've done wrong or shame that's uh, been put upon me by others? How often do I try to use shame as my motivation to do good or motivation to follow after Jesus? Um, and I suspect that that may be true of you as well. Because the truth is, our world is full of shame, and we can't wish it away. We have shame put on us by others. We have shame in our own hearts because of things we've done. So the question that we have is not whether there's shame. It's what are we going to do with all of this shame? What are we going to do? Can we use it as fuel? Can we say shame on you to propel us into the future? Um, I don't think so. Well, I'm glad to tell you this morning, the psalm that we just read, Psalm 25, it's a song which is in part about this very thing. It's about shame. And uh, the psalm, it uncovers some of the sources of shame, where it comes from, and it answers this, how does God answer the storm of our shame with His love? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, I've got a couple of different sections in this sermon, and the first one's this, what is shame? Let's talk about shame. What is it? Now, I find shame is one of those words that we all use, and we all kind of know what it means, but it's sometimes a little hard to pin down and, and define, but I'll give it a shot. Um, shame is the feeling or the sense that something is fundamentally wrong with me. Something is fundamentally wrong with me. It usually comes up after um, we've done something we think is wrong, or it comes up when someone has made us like a, an object of ridicule. Um, and, and, and shame is this feeling of, of, of almost worthlessness and distress. Now, it's more than just being embarrassed. It's more than embarrassment, but it's kind of uh, related to that. And it, it's even more than um, guilt, even though it's closely related, right? We feel guilt when we do something wrong, and we feel guilty about an action. But shame, shame runs even deeper. We, with shame, we feel degraded. We feel broken beyond repair. We feel that something is fundamentally wrong with us. Something is fundamentally unworthy about us. Psalm 25 is a passage of Scripture that was written 3,000 years ago, and it's about shame. Um, and like I said, it explores some of the sources of shame. It gives us a direction about what to do with our shame. And as I read through Psalm 25, it, I think it shows us three different sources of our shame. And the first is this, our sin. Sin as a source of shame. Now this was written by a, a King David, one of the, probably the most towering political figure in the history of ancient Israel. This man who had uh, united all these tribes under a, a united kingdom, who had uh, defeated enemies on every side, and so given the people of Israel 
peace in their land for the first time, but he was also a man who was deeply acquainted with shame. He was a man who had done some terrible things in his life. And so this is one of the sources, sin. Notice uh, in the psalm itself, David has a sense of shame related to what he calls in verse 7, the sins of his youth, or uh, he calls it again in verse 7, his rebellious ways. Or in verse 11, he calls it his iniquity. So a sense of shame related to things that he had done wrong as he reflected on them in his past. Now there's a second source of shame in the psalm, and that's this, it's circumstances. David also has a sense of shame related to his present circumstances. In verse 16, he talks about being lonely. He talks about being afflicted. He says he's troubled in heart and he's distressed. So that's the second source, circumstances. The third source is this, the sin of other people against him. So stuff he had no responsibility for, but things that other people had done against him or were planning to do against him. He's worried about future shame brought on by others. As he says in verse 2, Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. And he prays in verse 15 that God would deliver his feet from the snare. And so these are three sources of shame for David, and it's also true of us as well. The first one, again, is our sin. We often have shame, uh, a sense of shame from all the ways we've fallen short, the ways we've mistreated others, the ways we've uh, mistreated ourselves or rebelled against God. Um, We often have shame related to circumstances, whether that be like David, uh, loneliness or brokenheartedness, or maybe our, our shame in our circumstances come from our family background, and we come from a broken home, or, or maybe we live in poverty, or we work in a, a job that we're not proud of. Uh, we have a sense of shame related to circumstances. And the third one's this, the sin of other people against us. This is anyone who's uh, been a victim of abuse. Other people have sinned against them, um, and they're not responsible for what other people have done, but they feel a deep sense of shame related to how other people have wronged them. These are our sources of shame. But it's not enough just to uncover the sources of shame. Uh, We still have the question outstanding, what do we do with all of this shame? Now that we kind of understand some of the places it comes from, what do we do with it? Well, this psalm, Psalm 25, is partly a prayer. It's a plea to God in the midst, in the middle of shame, about the past, the middle of the shame, about the present circumstances, the middle of fear, of future shame, um, it's a prayer for deliverance from that shame. Well, before I have good news, I have bad news. The bad news is this, we, we can't wish shame away. It just doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. But the good news is this, we can take it somewhere. And not only can we take our shame somewhere, we have a path forward, a way of hope, into the future, not into more shame. God doesn't lead us into more shame. He leads us into freedom. And that brings me to the second part of this sermon, the answer to our shame. Because all of those sources of shame, sin, circumstances, and the sin of others against us, all of those sources of shame, God deals with them directly. That's indicated clearly in this psalm. Look at the first one, sin. What does he do with our sin? He forgives it. Verses 6 and 7, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. He does not remember our, our sin. 
He remembers his love for us, and he treats us according to his love, not according to our sin. Or uh, verse 11, he says, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. God's love is greater than even our greatest iniquity, the greatest of our sin. That sin that brings us shame, God promises to forgive. He promises to us that His love for us is older and stronger than our sin and that we can come to Him to find that He will not forget us. He will forget our sin, but not forget us. So that's the first one. about the, uh, What about circumstances? Well, the psalm says He guides us in truth. He charts a path for us to pursue that which is good, right, and loving. Um, He promises, too, that our circumstances are not the final word about us. That's what this psalm is talking about in verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is where? In you all day long. In the middle of circumstances, this is an invitation um, that brings us from shame to hope. Uh, From shame in our circumstances to hope in the God who guides and teaches. And this is good news because of verse 10. All of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And so our circumstances, uh, even if they do bring with them a sense of shame, they don't have to be where we find our identity. We're invited to uh, latch ourselves on to God's love for us and let that be the foundational identity for who we are. So that's sin, that's circumstances. What about the sin of other people against us? God assures us that enemies cannot triumph over his love for us. As verse 2 says, again, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. All of this, all of these answers to the sources of shame, they point us forward to God's ultimate answer to our shame, Jesus Christ. This entire psalm was written about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. And we can think of it almost like a a movie trailer of everything that God's going to do through Jesus. Because this psalm tells us, like I said, that we can find forgiveness, that we can uh, find defense from our enemies, that God will guide us in on truth, but it kind of leaves um, the reality of what that will be uh, in the shadows. We get indications, but we don't see the fullness of it. In Jesus, we see the fullness of what it means for God to uh, remove our shame from us. We get a full answer for what it means for us and how God forgives how he leads us in truth, how he defends us. In Jesus, we get the reality of all this, what all the shadows pointed to. In Jesus Christ, God enters into our shame and doesn't leave us in it. He enters into our shame, the shame that is so characteristic of the human experience, and he carries it. He carries our shame from, his, from our shoulders to his And all those sources of shame, he goes to them. He takes them on his shoulders and he identifies with us in the very deepest of ways. So again, let's talk about sin. How does Jesus uh, take our sin, this source of shame? Well, think about the way the New Testament talks about Jesus and sin. It says that he was without sin himself. 
that he didn't mistreat others, that he didn't pursue the wrong things, that he honored God and everything, that he was free from the violence and selfishness that so characterizes us. But it also says that he became sin, that he was punished because of sin, because of our sin, that in this mysterious and wonderful exchange, Jesus took upon himself the punishment that our sins deserve so that we don't have to. So the residual shame that we may have from our past sins, from our misdeeds, Jesus puts it on his shoulders and carries it so we don't have to. He takes it from us to set us free from it. And what about Jesus in circumstances? Well, think about the life of Jesus. Though he deserved all honor and glory, um, Jesus was born into poverty. He wasn't born into a palace in Rome. He was born into a very poor family in a far-flung region of Galilee. Um, and in his, in his very youth, he was a refugee who had to flee from his homeland to Egypt because he was being pursued. Jesus was born into poverty. He lived his entire life in poverty. He was single. He was childless. He was homeless. He was rejected and abandoned by his closest friends, so he experienced betrayal and abandonment. He was utterly alone in his crucifixion. All these experiences of these circumstances of shame, Jesus experienced them himself. And in his life and in his death, he wore all the shame that we always try to flee from. He entered into it. Or think about how the New Testament depicts Jesus being sinned against by others. He was plotted against by religious leaders and by political leaders of his time. He was put to death in his crucifixion, which is perhaps the most shameful way of execution that human history has ever devised. As I mentioned, he was rejected and betrayed, a victim of injustice, uh, made a mockery of. In all of this, in all of this, Jesus not only experienced shame, but he swallowed it up because his death was not the end of the story, but it was the end of his shame. And when he burst forth from the tomb, resurrected and victorious over even the power of death, it was like a public declaration that shame had met its match. That all the shame that Jesus experienced had met its match in his resurrection. And in his ascension into heaven, he's seated as our representative, as our king at, the scripture says, the right hand of God, crowned with glory and honor. All of that, a picture, a foreshadowing of the glory and honor that is ours, that awaits us, no matter our sin, no matter our circumstances, no matter the sin of others against us. We have glory and honor in Jesus Christ, not shame, not shame. So what do we do in the here and now with all of our shame? Do we, uh, do we like the CEO in the beginning story? Do we try to use it as fuel? Um, I don't think so. Don't. Shame at its core is profoundly destructive and poisonous. Um, trying to do anything good motivated by shame, I think, is like trying to run a marathon with sewer water in your water bottles. I know that sounds disgusting, but that's because shame is disgusting. It's not fuel, it's poison. The invitation to us this morning, to me and to you, 
uh, from, not from me, the invitation from Jesus, is to take our shame that we feel, the shame we experience from our sin, the shame we experience from our circumstances, or the sin of others against us, and bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. To take these sources of shame and to find in Him not shame from our sin, but forgiveness. To find from Him transformation. Not a cycle of shame of circumstances that we're stuck in, but transformation. To find in Him not fear of future shame because others may wrong us, but hope for the future. That God is bringing us to Himself to show us grace time and time again. And let's let that love that He has for us be our motivation and be the way that we walk forward into the rest of our lives. Not shame, but His incredible love. Let's not be people eat up and consumed with shame, but let's be people defined by His incredible, sacrificial, never giving up love for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in this world of shame that you give us the answer to our shame in Jesus Christ, that we can come to you and in Jesus knowing that you've experienced shame in the deepest levels the way that we do, but that in your shame, Jesus, you swallowed up the power of shame against us, that we can come to you and find forgiveness, transformation, and hope. So give us faith to believe that today and to entrust to you even our shame, knowing that in in return, in exchange for our shame, you give us grace and more grace and more grace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.